0: Well, if you know me at all, then you know that I love the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, and they seem to be on TV a lot right now. I mean, um, if you are... uh um, uh, watching TV at any time during the day, you can usually find that movie. In fact, if you're at my house and we're flipping channels and we come across The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, we usually stop and we watch it for just a little while. It doesn't matter how many times we've seen the movie. We just love it so much. In the first Hobbit movie, The Unexpected Journey, the main character is a hobbit by the name of Bilbo Baggins. And what happens is he is offered this job to accompany some dwarves um, back to their homeland where they're gonna go reclaim their mountain. Home from the evil dragon smog. And if you know the story well, Bilbo is very reluctant to go because the mission itself seems very difficult. It seems extremely dangerous. In fact, he flat out tw- tells the dwarves, I am not going with you. I cannot go, not this time, not ever. And you see, if you know the story, Bilbo, he loves his quiet little life in the Shire, and all of this has just disrupted his peace and quiet. But in reality, you know that it really comes down to him just being a little bit scared to go. Uh, If you've seen the movie, you know the story, you know that after a good night's sleep and a fair amount of soul searching, he changes his mind, And and he quickly gathers his things and he heads off to catch up with the dwarves, and as he's running to join them, he is leaving the shire, and somebody yells, hey, Bilbo, where are you going? And Bilbo yells back what has become one of the most iconic lines in the entire movie series. He says, do you remember, I'm going on an adventure. This image right here was me 13 sermons ago. As we started our study through the book of Revelation, that was me. We are going on an adventure. I relate very much with Bilbo Baggins in this. I struggled in the beginning to even want to go on this adventure through the book of Revelation. Um, you may be surprised when I tell you that, but I was very reluctant. I mean, I've been putting this off for a long time, for several years, um, almost on a weekly basis, people here in the church would come up to me and say, hey, Joe, when are you going to preach through Revelation and, and the end times? And I just very politely put them off. And it's, it's not that I hadn't studied it before, and it's not that I didn't know what I believed about it, and I didn't know where I fell on interpretation. No, I knew all of those things. But actually preaching through the book of Revelation, well, that's another matter all together. For me personally, and I'm just being transparent with you, preaching through the book of Revelation, well, it seemed quite difficult and dangerous. Now, not physically dangerous, that's not what I'm talking about, but dangerous from the standpoint of opinions, because there's no secret that everybody has their own interpretation or their own idea or their own opinion on how to read and study and interpret the book of Revelation. And I was concerned. I was like, oh man, I don't want to go down this road that could somehow be divisive for our church family and break people up into categories. Well, I believe this and I believe this and, and I believe that. And I had some reluctance to preach through it. But I think some of that too was just a little bit of fear. Could I even do it? The the whole thing just seemed very daunting and and difficult. It seemed as difficult and daunting as the dwarves reclaiming their mountain home. That's how I felt. Well, maybe not quite that difficult, but it seemed very challenging to me. But after some prayer and some soul-searching of my own and this little pandemic called COVID-19, I think God just made it very clear to me that Revelation is where we needed to go as a church. So 13 sermons ago, I was like this, I'm going on an adventure and it has been quite the adventure. I hope and pray that God has used our study through the book of Revelation to help grow your faith. Uh, I hope that your walk with Christ has been strengthened. I hope that today you can say, you know what, I am as prepared as I have ever been for the return of Christ, and I'm looking more forward to it than I ever have before in my life. And, And if that's where you are now, 13 sermons into this series, then I think we have accomplished something very good together today though we've reached the end of our adventure but if you have learned anything from the book of revelation then you know that this adventure is just beginning every day of our christian lives is an adventure and the greatest adventure is still out in front of us when the lord returns and we will be in heaven with him for all eternity and what an adventure that will be Well, we've reached chapter 22 today, and if you haven't done so, would you please go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22, and it is the very last chapter of the entire Bible. It's in the 22nd chapter of Revelation that John's vision of the future comes to an end. Do you remember from when we started this 13 sermons ago, that the vision that God gave to John, it started way back in chapter one, where we learned that John is exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And and he's talking about how this one day he was in the spirit, it was the Lord's day, and he heard this voice that said, start to write all this stuff down. Let me refresh your memory. Revelation chapter one, verse nine, it says this, write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will. Take place later. And what we learn is that the Lord is giving John a vision and he promised to show him the present day, the what is now part of that verse. And he also told him that I'm going to show you the future, what is to take place, what will take place later. So when you look at this vision from start to to end, we see that that John has a vision of this present, and that present takes the form of these letters to these seven churches of Asia Minor. We read all about these churches and what's happening in the first century church that John's day between chapters two and chapter three. Then right after that, we come to chapter four, and chapter four serves as a transition in the vision from what is happening right now for John to the circumstances of what will take place into the future. Let me refresh your memory one more time. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22 is this grand vision Of the future, and this is where we learn about um, this three-part vision of the future that we know as the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. Um, This future describes the in the Bible as the last day or the labor pains. It started in around 95 A.D. when John received this revelation, and this vision of the future goes all the way until the return of Christ. This vision that John sees also reveals the the reality and the nature of our true enemy, the devil. That is laid out bare in this vision. We also learn that the devil will lose and he will lose badly. We learn this about this future vision, that those who are victorious until the very end will inherit eternal life with God. And this vision that John has, it is chock full of glimpses and images and pictures of eternity with God, the new heaven, the new earth, and all the stuff that we learned about last week. So this entire vision, the entirety of it, starts way back in chapter one, verse 19, when the Lord told him to write stuff down And it ends, it comes to a close with the angel's final statement in chapter 22, verse 6. So if you got your Bible open, look at chapter 22, verse 6. Let's read it together. The angel said to me, so the angel said to John, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And with that statement right there from the angel, this vision that John has of his present and of his future is over. And what a vision it was. It's interesting, as I read this verse, I see that the angel uses a very interesting phrase, and I don't know if you caught it right away when we read it, but I'm gonna go back and read it again. The angel says this to John, the Lord, the God who inspires the prophets. Do you remember reading that? Did, did that stand out to you at all? Is that like the, the Lord, the God who inspired the prophets, that's the one that's sending me to you to show you all this. What, what exactly did the angel mean when he said that? Uh, it's, it's it's like he's saying this, maybe let me expound on it just a little, little bit. It's like the angel saying, you know, the God, you know, the God who sent me, our heavenly father, God who sent me to show you all this, well, he's the same God who stands behind all the prophets and he is the ultimate source of all their prophecy. And he's saying, God is behind all of this, all of this that you have seen, God's the one who's responsible for it. You think back of all the prophets we read about throughout the Bible and in the Old Testament, the Isaiahs, the Hoseas, all those people. God stands behind them. God is the one who inspired what they shared with you. And this right here with John is no different. This is John, one of Jesus's 12 original disciples. He's the only one left and he turns into this prophet and, and this angel says this, God is behind the prophet John now as well. The Lord has revealed to him And to the church, the shape of the future, starting from the late first century all the way until the return of Christ. And that, my friends, is exactly how you and I need to see the book of Revelation. This is God's vision. This is God's words. He's the one that's behind this, and he is showing us today, the church, the shape of our future. And then if you look in verse 7... Jesus steps in and has something to say, and this is probably something that John heard Jesus say many times, but is also reemphasized in this vision. Look what it says. "Look, Now this is Jesus. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Now, your translation of the Bible, it may start with the word look like mine does. You may also have a translation that says behold. You know, that's the Greek word. They're translating into English. But in the original language, those two words, look, behold, it has this understanding. It means like listen closely. Pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. It's the same way as Jesus saying the same thing as Jesus saying this to the person who listens very closely to the person who pays very close attention to the reality that I am coming back soon. That person who takes this prophecy to heart, they will be blessed. And I don't know about you, but that is quite a promise, isn't it? If you take this seriously, if you pay attention, if you listen up to these realities. You'll be blessed. How in the world are we blessed by paying very close attention? How are we blessed by believing this? How are we blessed by putting this into practice? Well, it's clear all over the pages of Revelation in the New Testament, isn't it? You'll be blessed by being with the Lord forever. Friends, if you've missed everything that we've ever talked about over the last 13 sermons in Revelation, please don't miss this. You will be blessed if you pay attention, believe in the Lord, and obey his word. You'll be blessed. People sometimes ask, it's been asked during this series, it's like, why study Revelation? Isn't it too hard? Isn't it too confusing? Isn't it very difficult? How could we ever get on the same page? We all have different interpretations. I've had more than one person say to me, hey, Revelation is just too scary. I stay away from it. Why study? And I say, no, 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 no. You study Revelation because it comes with a promise. So to the person who pays attention, who listens up, who takes this prophecy to heart, they will be blessed with eternal life with God. Do you understand, my friends, what is at stake here? I mean, mean, do you understand? Jesus is coming back. And most of the world is not paying attention. They're not listening closely Most of the world will not be ready for when Jesus does come back. Most of the world right now, if Jesus were to come back at this very moment, they would miss out on the blessing of eternal life where we will dwell with the Lord forever. As we speak right now, many Christians seem to only be paying attention and consumed by should we or should we not wear a mask? Now that's an important question for sure. But Jesus said what? Listen closely, pay attention. There are more important things than the topics that we seem to be consumed with today. He says, I am coming soon and most of the world is not paying attention. I think he's one church. Are you paying attention to this reality or are you distracted? Are you looking and paying attention to something that is not as important? Right now, we're flooded 24-7 with news. We have endless social media bombardment about COVID-19, mask wearing, civil unrest in our nation. And those things, in my opinion, have distracted many Christians from this reality. I am coming soon, Jesus said. What could be more relevant than that? You see, here's my fear, and maybe you share this fear as well. My fear is that Christians are viewing their faith through the lenses of current events rather than seeing our current events through the lenses of our faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, we have to be real careful not to allow current events to shape our walk with Christ. No, it should be the other way around. Our walk with Jesus is what shapes our view and our understanding when it comes to current events. Jesus said, I am coming soon, and that should shape everything that we are about. It does bring up a very interesting question in our text, though. Jesus did say, I am coming soon. In fact, he said it multiple times right here in this very chapter. So can we ask this question, how soon is soon? Have you ever wondered about that? I know I certainly have. I've sat in my own prayer life. I was like, hey, Lord, how soon is this all gonna happen? How soon is soon? You don't have to be a Christian for very long to wonder that very question. Let's be honest. Soon doesn't feel very soon, does it? I mean, how long has it been since John received this revelation in AD 95? It's been what? Over 1,900 years already. 1,925 and a little bit of change. How soon is soon? The church is going on 2,000 years old as we speak. So when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, all this is going to be near. Well, how soon is soon? How near is near Uh, We all know that nobody knows when Jesus is going to return. That's a well-established truth in the Bible. But it's interesting, as you study other parts of the New Testament, specifically some of the things that Peter wrote about, he adds some interesting details about the end of time and the last days and what to expect. You know, Peter raises this question in, in a different kind of way about how soon is soon, We learn from him that we're not the only ones that are going to be wondering about the end of time. In fact, in the last days, how soon is soon is a question that even unbelievers are going to be asking in the last days. Now, when they ask that question, this is what Peter tells us, they're going to be asking it in a very derogatory and demeaning and in a very sarcastic way. Here, let me show you. You don't need to turn there right now, but the words will be on the, the screen below me here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Peter, writing about the end of time and the return of Christ, he says this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say where is this coming he promised ever since our ancestors died everything goes on as it has since the very beginning of creation You know, and this kind of mockery that Peter clues us into, it has been happening since the the church began. I mean, he's writing this, you know, just a few years after the church started. And and he's cluing us in that it will be like this. People have made fun of the church and and all all the time. But Peter says, in the end, in the last days, this is going to happen. I will share with you this. Never in my lifetime have Christians and what we hold dear about our faith been the target of more scorn, opposition, and disdain than it is today. Does this mean that the return of Christ is like right around the corner? Maybe. It most certainly reminds us that we are living in the labor pains, we are living in the last days, and that the return of Christ could happen at any time. And that is why the question of, are you ready for the return of Christ is a thousand times more relevant than are you going to wear a mask when you go outside? But out of those two questions, which one is the question that Christians are asking more than any other question right now. Are you ready for the return of Christ or are you gonna wear a mask? Which one of those questions is more important? And which one are we asking? Peter goes on to say just a few verses later in verse eight, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. That's a little bit of a mind blower, isn't it? how soon is soon? Well, God doesn't tell time like we do. The Lord exists outside of time. He doesn't watch a clock like we watch a clock. Thousand years to God is nothing more than a day. But we ask the question, why does it seem like he's taking so long? Well, the very next verse answers the question. Verse nine, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We all know this. It's very clear from the book of Revelation that the devil's ultimate goal is to lead the whole world astray, to lead them away from the Lord. But the Lord's desire and his goal and his agenda is completely different. The Lord doesn't want anyone to, To perish. That concept, that truth is sprinkled through just about every page of the New Testament. The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. But that's exactly what's gonna happen to those who follow the ways of the devil and do not repent. What does the Lord want? The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but to do what instead? To come to repentance. It is only by his grace. It is only by his grace That we have the time and have been given the time that we have. The Lord's patience has a purpose. He doesn't tell time like we do, but He's got a master plan, and that master plan is a very patient one. And when we step back and think about it, it is actually a very good thing. It speaks of His grace, it speaks of His love, it speaks of His compassion, it speaks of His purposes. How soon is soon? I don't know when the Lord's gonna come back. But everything in the book of Revelation and the rest of the New Testament, for that matter, I'm convinced the return of Christ could come at any moment. The return of Christ may come before I'm done with this sermon today. How soon is soon? You know, to answer that question, I think it would be good for us to take a step back and look at the whole master plan of what God is doing with mankind. When you take God's word and you look at it from start to finish, there are these markers in time that actually tell us quite a bit about what God is doing and, in fact, what he might be thinking with his time frame. If you go to the very beginning of God's word, what do we read? We read all about the creation. God created everything, the sun, moon, stars, oceans, waters, land, vegetation, fish, even people. And what did the Lord say when, when he was done? He said, it is good. And then what happened? We all know what happened. Man sinned. And everything fell apart and and, and 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 it changed everything and and our eyes were open and and God said, "This is not good everything's good, and that we read about how God cursed the earth." It's broken. There was a separation between God and his creation. Everything falls apart. But God didn't stop loving us. God still is working his plan. And so you keep reading in the Bible and you, and you read about how God made a promise to Abraham. And, and this promise is referred to as the covenant or the first covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two people. And in this case, it was an agreement between God and mankind. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Let me tell you how to behave. Let me tell you how to live. Let me tell you how to treat one another. Let me tell you how to interact with me. And let me tell you how we're going to work on this sin problem that's created this separation. And God instituted this sacrificial system for reasons that God established. He's like, something innocent has to die and shed its blood for sins to be atoned for. Now we know this is all setting the stage for Jesus, but this sacrificial system is established as part of this covenant. And we have this tabernacle and we have the temple. This is where God's dwelling is with mankind. That's the first covenant. We we refer to it today as the old covenant. All of it was to set the stage for Jesus. And then, as you keep studying God's Word, we learn that the next thing in God's timetable is the first coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Messiah. And we read all about his ministry in the Gospels, and he came to save the world. He came to be the ultimate fulfillment of that agreement between God and man. And there's not going to be all these animal sacrifices anymore. Jesus Christ, the perfect, innocent, sinless lamb, is going to shed his blood once and for all for the sin sins of all the world from past, present, and future. In fact, the night before his death, he he came to his disciples and even said, What? This take this cup. Why? This represents what? the new covenant, this new agreement between God and man. And what is this new agreement all about? This new agreement is how about how his people, God's children, God's family, those who are saved, they are going to be made up of people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have put their trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is going to be the marker, the parameter that identifies God's family from this point forward. And it's emphasized many times in the New Testament when the writers There's no more longer any Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free man. We are all one in Christ Jesus. It is our faith in the Lord through the power of his death and resurrection by which we are saved. And what happens next? Jesus dies on the cross, he's put in the tomb. Three days later, he's raised to life. Shortly after that, what happens? Jesus ascends into heaven, and what takes Jesus' place? It's the Holy Spirit and the launch of the church in Acts chapter 2. And what starts is, this is where God's family comes together in community. It's where we are sealed by the living God through the Holy Spirit. We have this mark on us, held for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit now This is how God dwells in people's hearts. There's no longer a temple where God dwells. No, where does God dwell? He dwells in our hearts. This is all part of this new covenant, this new agreement. And what has been happening since Acts 2 is what we refer to as the church age. The New Testament refers to it as the last days or the labor pains. And then the Bible teaches us what happens next. There will be the second coming of Jesus, the final judgment, and eternity. Those things, I believe, happen very quickly. Jesus returns, judgment, and eternity. That, my friend, is the big picture. And right now, we are where? We are in the labor pains. We are in the last days. And what is the very next item on God's agenda? What is it? It is the second coming of Jesus. When you take a step back and look at it from that perspective, then yes, we could say the return of Christ will indeed happen very soon. Why? Because it is what is next in God's a redemptive plan for people. We sit here today and we try to process all this information. It is, it's a little bit overwhelming and you take the book of Revelation, you're like, wow, that takes some time to digest that book. But just think about John, the one who actually saw this vision and he was the one that had to put it into words. We kind of get a glimpse of how John reacted to all this. Look at the very next verse, verse eight. It says, I, John, I am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your, and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. And the angel says, worship God. John is so overwhelmed by all of this that he falls at the angel's feet to worship. I love the response of the angels, like, "Get, get up. Don't do that. I'm just like you in the sense that we worship God together. Now, this happened once before where John falls down and he thinks he needs to worship an angel. That's in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. It's unclear if he's referring to that exact same moment or this happened twice. I'm not sure it really matters. It's hard to say. But what we should pay attention to is this. John's response is very telling. When he saw this vision, it drove him to worship. I mean, he literally had a physical reaction to it. Fall down and worship. That was his response. It's, it's like this overwhelming insight, this, all this knowledge, all this information It drove him to want to worship. And I have a question for you today. Taking all that we have learned in this study of the book of Revelation, what is it driving you to do? What is your response to all of it? Does it make you, like John, want to fall down and worship the Lord when you get a picture of all that he's done and all that he will do? Is your response to it like, I I have more hope and trust and faith in God than I've ever had in my life? Has it helped you see your present circumstances better, especially in light of eternity? Has it made you want to be more evangelistic? I mean, has it put this fire in your belly that says, I am not going to lose one more person. I'm not going to lose one more family member, one more friend to the clutches of the enemy. No way, not under my watch. Has it put that kind of fire in your belly? Has it brought you a sense of peace in these very troubled, strange, trying, and difficult days? You see, this vision causes John to fall down and worship, and I'm just curious, what does this vision stir in each of you? If you look at verse 10... Then he told me, this is the angel tells John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. And this is a fascinating detail. This this one verse we could spend a long time on. We're not going to. Um, But if you're looking for another place to take a deeper dive in the study of Revelation, this verse right here, uh, verse 10, will, will occupy a great deal of your time because it's a look back to the other uh, apocalyptic literature in the Bible. It's a look back to the book of Daniel. If you go to Daniel chapter 12, Daniel had a very similar vision in Daniel 12 that John does here in Revelation. Daniel, this angel reveals in this vision future events: the labor pains, the resurrection, the final judgment, the consummation of the kingdom of God. Daniel sees similar things about the end times, but what's different? is that when the vision was over for Daniel, the the angel says, I want you to close up and seal the words of this scroll because the time and events that it describes are off into the distant future, the time of the end. So the angel says, Daniel, close it up, don't share it. But in the book of Revelation, John sees visions of the same events. However, now the angel commands John, do not seal up this scroll. Do not seal up this prophecy because the time is near. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but I think it namely means this. That when the angel told Daniel to seal up this scroll uh, after this vision he received... He did that because people were nowhere near the fulfillment of it. I mean, mean, the Messiah hadn't even come yet when Daniel had that vision. So the angel says, seal it up. We're talking about something way off into the future. But the angel tells John not to seal it up because John was living in the very days of the fulfillment of the prophecy. When you think about it in those terms, so whatever Daniel was shown is very similar, the exact same thing that John was shown. And but this time he said, John, you share it with the whole world, and everybody needs to pay attention to it. And when you think about it in those terms, it adds some urgency to the need for us to prepare ourselves because the coming, the second coming of Jesus is very near. We are actually living in the days that this prophecy is talking about. It may very well be something that's right around the corner, and I certainly believe that it is. Look at verse 11. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to be right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. This is the angel telling us how we are to prepare for these days that we're living in and for the return of Christ. In other words, in in very brief, he's saying, you got to stay the course, you got to stay the course. If you're trying to live a holy life, continue to strive to live that holy life. Look at verse 12. Look, this is Jesus again. Jesus interjects. I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. These are the words of Jesus again. And what he's saying is very simple and it's very straightforward and it's not hard to understand at all. It's a warning. It's a warning for each individual that the outcome of judgment for each person The outcome of judgment for you and for me is one of either eternal doom or eternal life. That's it. Eternal doom or eternal life. And the choice of either one of those outcomes is completely in our hands. Jesus said, I will give to each person according to what they have done. I think maybe another way of saying that to help us understand better is that eternity completely rests on each individual's response to Jesus Christ and the manner of the life that flows from that response. In other words, Jesus like saying, listen, you live for me, you believe in me, and you follow me all of your days, and I'm going to welcome you into eternal life. The very next verse, verse 17 I think is perhaps one of the very best verses in the entire book of Revelation. They are words of good news and of God's grace together. Says the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life more than I think any other part of the book of Revelation. This one verse communicates the good news of the gospel and the grace of God. Do do you hear this verse here at the end? It's saying that every single person who wants to be a part of this eternal reward is welcome to it. To the one who pays close attention, to the one who's ready, to the one who's watching for the Lord's return, to the one who believes, to the one who is victorious until the very end. But Jesus is saying very clearly, it's open to everybody. I love what commentator writer Christopher A. Davis says about this verse. He says, the kingdom is not limited to the rich or the talented or the beautiful or the powerful or the educated or the famous or the intelligent or the witty or the well-born or the successful or the healthy or the strong or the innocent or the flawless. Eternal life with the Lord in a redeemed and transformed universe under the beneficent kingship of God is offered to whoever wants such a gift. Whoever is thirsty may freely drink of the water of life. And that means you, and that means me, and that means every single person who is watching this right now. It is available to all of us. So I come back to this very important question. Are you ready for the return of Christ? That's a thousand times more relevant then the question everyone else is asking today, are you gonna wear a mask? But are you ready for the return of Christ? And if you are, praise God, my brother and my sister. But if you're not ready, can I tell you how? You've gotta turn from your ways that you're living right now. You have to turn a repentant knee to your heavenly Father. You've you've gotta say, God, I'm so sorry. I have been living my life under my own terms. I've been living for my own pleasures. And that way of life has gotten me nowhere. I want to change. I know there's something better. And I may not have everything figured out. I can't tell you all the books of the Bible. I can't even tell you any verses. But what I can tell you, God, is I believe in you. I believe with all of my heart that you died on the cross and rose to life for me because you love me and you want me to be in heaven with you forever. And Lord, I got a long way to go, but I believe that today. And God, I am so sorry and I want you to forgive me of my sins and I will live to the best of my ability with you and for you till you come again. Friends, that's where you start. You start with humble acceptance of sins. Savior and I want you to know today that we want to help you in any way that we can if you've got questions about what it means to follow Jesus Christ I want you to write that in the comments I want to say please somebody contact me so, somebody reach out for me here's how you get a hold of me or reach out for the church or go to the app right now and there is, there's ways that you can let us know I want to follow Jesus and I want to learn more and there's all, all the things that we desire to do for you we, we want to walk with you down this journey we want to Celebrate that with you. But the most important question for us to consider today is are you ready for Jesus' return? Because when Jesus comes again, there are no second chances. You're either ready or you're not. Here's how Revelation ends, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Revelation, it was an incredible adventure. To the one who has ears to hear, the adventure really. Has only just begun. Let me pray for you. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that we have learned in this study. Lord, may we be people who pay close attention. May we be people, Lord, who listen intently. Lord, may we be people. Who are so looking forward to your coming, Lord, that it just just pours out of us, Lord. That every day we might say, Lord, maybe today, come, Lord Jesus, come. And Lord, when you do come, our prayer is that you will find this church family, the people of New Life Christian Church, to be faithful and ready for that day. Lord, our prayer is that you help us take everything that we've learned and and help us through our faith navigate these strange times that we're living in. Lord, we look at them as more evidence that your return is near. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray you use us in these last days in any way you want to use us, Lord, to impact your kingdom and to lead more people to you. And Lord, I pray for anybody out there today that's, that's watching this and, and Lord, they, they're sensing your call, they're sensing your tug, they're sensing your, your, your desire to be with them. Lord, I pray today they will not turn away from that. They will not brush it aside. That Lord, that thing that's pulling on their spirit right now, that's not me, that's you. And you're saying, come follow me, Lord. And I pray that they will go to their knees and they will say, God, I'm so sorry. I want to be with you. Lord, we trust you through these weird times that we live in, Lord, and help us to stay faithful through them. And it's in your name we pray these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.